and uh, the the youth ministry has quadrupled and grown uh, tremendously. And uh, we're about to totally revamp that room. They're where they meet now because it's all their own. And the children have that brand new state-of-the-art sanctuary that's just dynamite. And so I encourage you, if you've got a teenager, listen, they're in a battle. They need to hear the Word. And they need to be with other teens that are seeking Jesus. Amen? All right, let's read out of Luke. Let me talk about Mary's motherhood secrets. I want to share with you about the most famous mother in the world, Mother Mary. And let's look at Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 41. We're starting there. Going to take a little slice out of the life of Mary and look at something that happened when Jesus was 12 years old. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Oh, and by the way, we have a motorcycle group here today. And raise your hands there, everybody. All right. And you're the Christian Alliance. Christian Motorcyclist Association. We reach the people like the young man portrayed in the play. You reach people like that. All right. And how many cycles are here today? How many motorcycles? Did you bring one to sew to me? Is this the only way I'm ever going to get one? Uh, You talk to my wife. See, if it's a gift, I can't turn it down. Hint, hint. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry. I I noticed them, and I meant to introduce them. Give them a hand. They came. That's that's a good group. Hey, everybody reaches somebody, and thank God they're reaching people like... All right. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. This is an annual thing. And when Jesus was 12 years old, mark that down, 12, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother didn't even know it. Uh, But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey, a day away, and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. It's sort of real, where's Jesus? They were a day away. So when they did not find him, they went all the way back. Think about having to walk all the way back a whole day. They were not in a Toyota. They were walking, all right, all the way back to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, it took three days to find their boy. How many of you moms would be mad? <laughs> Come on, moms. All right. Three days they found him where? In the house of God, sitting in the midst of the teachers. This is four days since they've seen him. And the, what they see? They, he was both listening to the doctors and asking them questions. Twelve years old. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously for four days. And what did Jesus say to them? This is a 12-year-old boy talking. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Well, they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to them, and I don't think any of you would either. You see your 12-year-old saying, Mom, I'm about my father's business. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Then he went down with them 
And he came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother, look what Mary did, kept all these things, stored all these things in her heart. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Say happy Mother's Day with me and you can be seated. All right. Now, we do honor you today, Mom. It's, it's, it's Mother's Day. And it's an amazing job. It's an amazing thing that you do. And got a couple of quotes from famous people. Of course, you can get a thousand of them. But Abraham Lincoln said, All that I am or hope to be I owe to my angel mother. Abraham Lincoln. Most of the great personalities throughout history, if you read history, had significant, committed, uh, unique, strong mothers. One Christian English statesman is quoted as saying, quote, Give me a generation of Christian mothers, and I will undertake to change the whole face of society in 12 months. I'll change the culture in 12 months through Christian mothers. Now, I'm very aware that Mother's Day is not everybody's favorite time of the year. Some of you sitting in here right now have a sting in your heart because you're a mother. Your mother may have passed away, and today's a tough reminder of that. Every time there's a Mother's Day, you think my mom's gone, and God knows that. You may have bad memories of your mother. The Bible talks about a few of those. Uh, You may have longed to be a mother and long to be one right now, but you've not been able. You're hurting, and you wish that you could come down with these ladies, but you couldn't. Um, your child, this is a tough one, may have gone home ahead of you. And every Mother's Day, they're not here to wish you Mother's Day. And that stings. And you know what? The God of all comfort knows that and is aware of it. And will comfort you. Or here's an even worse one, actually. Your children may not contact you anymore. You've got kids, but they have nothing to do with you. You're in a severed relationship. And it stings and it hurts. It's it's a shattered, broken thing. And it needs to be healed. So today, it's bittersweet for you. You know what? If your experience falls in one of those categories, I believe in that God's Word is going to help you and strengthen you and strengthen your faith today. And lift you up and comfort you even so. Amen? Now, in our text, we see the most famous mother of all time, Mary. And she's grappling with three things that are common to mothers. And the reason I know this is because I'm married uh, to a wonderful mother. And I've seen her go through these things. And really, the things I'm going to cover are what dads go through as well. But it's not Father's Day. It's Mother's Day. So, to the moms... And here's the three things that I see Mary having to work through in the simple passages we read that every mother will encounter. Here they are, learning to let go. That's the first one. Second one, learning to trust God's plan. Third one, learning, this is a big one, to not fear the future. All three of them are learning. Mary was a teenage Jewish girl She was not divine. She does not answer prayer. You do not pray to her because she doesn't hear your prayers. She wasn't anointed by God to hear your prayers. Uh, Jesus is our intercessor, not Mary. She does not intercede for you. He does. But Mary was an incredible woman of God, even as a teenager. She was amazing. I mean, think about an angel 
an archangel appearing to you and saying, you're going to bring forth the Christ child. What teenager do you know that could handle that? If they came and told you that, you would want to know what drug they were on. But Mary actually had a visitation from the archangel Gabriel. You're going to bring forth the Christ child. And you know what's amazing about her? She handled that. She said, be it unto me according to your word. She accepted it in faith. She was able to receive such an incredible pronouncement. An amazing woman. And yet, she had to learn. She learned like all of us. And the first thing I see in this story is that Mary had to learn what every mother in here is going to have to learn and every dad. Learning to let go of them. Learning to release them. Now, by the time Jesus was 12 years old, we see in this story here that Mary was already feeling the tension that every mother in here is going to feel. The tension between her desire to protect him, shield him, hold him, remain in charge of him, and God's tug on his life. And even if it's not the tug of God on their life, but it's the tug of the world, it's the tug of other things, there's still going to come a time, Mom, when you're going to have to go, you know what, they are no longer three years old bouncing on my lap. I'm going to have to learn to let go. I'm going to have to learn to let go. Now, as this gospel story goes, Mary and Joseph, as we've already shown, were, were, were a day into their journey back home to Nazareth. And they had been to the Passover festival, which is an annual deal for them. And one day away, they realized that Jesus was not with them. Now, I want you to think about the panic that was set in if you had a 12-year-old and you were even in a car or whatever, and you realized you had gone a day into your journey and the 12-year-old wasn't with you and you thought they were. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that sounds like neglect to me. How do they not know? Well, here's how they didn't know. They were traveling with a sizable entourage of aunts and uncles and family and friends, and they were on foot. And some of them were riding donkeys, but they were not in automobiles or stagecoaches or any of that. They were on foot, and it was a big crowd. And here's what happened. It was assumed that somewhere in the crowd, Jesus was with uh, Uncle So-and-so or with Auntie What's-Her-Name, and they thought he was fine. They assumed he knew enough to be responsible enough to join the group and go. So a day in, the sun is setting. They've been walking all day long, miles and miles, and, and, and suddenly, where's Jesus? Well, I thought you had him. Well, I don't have him. Well, I thought you had him. Well, I don't have him. Well, where is he? Pump, 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 pump. The heart starts to palpitate, and you realize that he's nowhere in the crowd. So Joseph and Mary had a little bit of a freak out, like any of you would. I used to freak out. I lost him for five minutes at Disney World. Forget a day. So, alarmed, they turn around, left the group, and went all the way back to Jerusalem. And can you imagine three days and nights you can't find him? Can you imagine that? I mean, they went to sleep three nights not knowing where their boy was. Well, finally they found him. You think Mary didn't want to tell him what for? Let me just tell you, this is not sanctifying language here. She said, son... His mother said to him, why have you done this to us? And I'm picturing she's got him by the scruff of the neck. She's not saying, son, why didst thou leave us like this? (laughs) 
oh, holy one of God. Oh, no. It was, what? What are you doing? You've scared us. Now, Jesus' response is really profound. And no wonder they didn't know what to make of it. Because in light of her anger and her frustration and being flustered like she was, he said, why did you need to search? It's cool. I am who I am. It's 12 years old. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business and that I would be in my father's house? That's where you would find me. You know what he's saying to her? You shouldn't have taken three days to find me. You should have known, knowing me, where I would be. How many of you could say that about your 12-year-old? Can you imagine your 12-year-old being gone for three days and him saying, I've been in the house of God. (laughs) Yeah, sure you have. No wonder it says they didn't understand what he meant. This was a defining moment for Mary. Let me tell you why it was a defining moment. Every one of you are going to have it. The defining moment was it was the first signal that a change had begun to take place between mother and son. And here's what it was. The beginning of learning to let go. And you know letting go is one of the hardest things in the world to do because if you don't believe in God... If you have no God and you have no Savior and you believe that you are all there is and when you die there is nothing past it, then letting go, you're letting them go into nothingness. You don't know what you're letting them go to. You're letting them go, you having been the best there was. But what I'm saying to you today is when a believer in God, when somebody who knows the reality of God and the reality of Jesus, the reality of the nail-scarred hands, when you go to let go of something, you know you're letting go of something that is going to, to go into stronger hands, better hands, bigger hands, more able hands, wiser hands than yours. And so that's where faith is so valuable. I don't know how people raise kids without faith. Learning to let go is not just letting go and walking away from your responsibility. It is learning to let go and turn them over to God. She had to begin to let go. James Dobson wrote these words, quote, Our inclination as loving guardians is to hold our kids too tightly despite their attempts to squirm free. We try to make all their decisions, keep them snugly beneath our wings, and prevent even the possibility of failure. We don't want to see them hurt themselves. We don't want to see them damage themselves. We don't want to see them reap the consequences of bad decisions. So we try to hover over them like mother hens beyond when we should. Dobson goes on, and in so doing, we force our young adults into one of two destructive patterns. Either they passively accept our overprotection and remain dependent children into adult life, or they rise up in great wrath to reject our bondage and interference. Either way, we lose. There comes a time like Mary, you got to begin to let go. You just got to begin to let go. Well, Pastor Jeff, I'm afraid if I let him go, something bad's going to happen to them. Got to let go. At a certain age, you've got to begin to give more line. You know, when I first started walking my dog, had a leash, one of these retractable leashes. And at first, he didn't know what to do with the leash, so I had to keep it tight right here. But the more he understood, 
about the leash and about his life, his world, I began to let out more and more line. And then when I knew he wasn't going to attack other dogs on the walk and get me in trouble, I let out even more line. And that's the way God is with you and me. He lets out line when he realizes we're mature enough to handle it. He lets out line. And if that's his way with you and me, then that's got to be our way with our kids. You got to let more and more line out. And if they go out and get bit, reel them in, say, I told you. <laughs> then let out line again. You got to let out more and more line. So can everybody say with me, learning to let go? Mary had this wake up call. Uh oh, he's talking to me this way. Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? What are you doing, mom? It's okay. Okay. I'm going to learn to let go. Now, the second thing I see in Mary naturally flows from the first one. And that is, she had to learn to trust God's plan. Now, see, if I don't believe in God, I don't believe there's a plan. But if I know that there is a God, a sovereign God over the whole universe who knows when you breathe, who knows how long you'll live, who knows when you will die, who knows your DNA, your genetic makeup, your personality, your character, the decisions you're going to make and the words you're going to say before they're ever done, that God, then that God, according to the Bible, has a plan. You are not the result of evolution. You did not just appear as a consequence of an endless evolutionary process that spits you out into time and there is no God and there is no supreme being and there is no, no ruler of the universe. It's all happenstance and it's all the rolling of the die. No. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. There is no philosophy in all the history of the United States of America that has done more damage to more people than Darwinian evolution that has hijacked philosophically America. It is not true. There is a God. And He made you. And since we know that there is a God, the Bible tells us that He has a plan. He has a plan for every human being that's ever born. I don't care. Like James Robison is the result of his mother being sexually assaulted and she could not find a place to have an abortion. Was James a mistake? Did God have no plan? Obviously not. You see, God loves you. And God has a plan. And he knew that plan before you were ever born. He knew what you were going to look like. He knew what your character was going to be like. He knew, he knew how tall you were going to be, what color your eyes were going to be before you were ever born. And he hatched a plan for you before he created the worlds, according to Ephesians. God has a plan. And you're not living life until you find that plan and flow in that plan. And I'm going to go further and say you're not a success. Unless you find that plan and live out that plan. I don't care if you're Donald Trump with a billion dollars when you die. You don't take one penny with you. But if you live for the plan of God in your life, you will send it ahead of you. God has a plan. And you've got to learn to trust God's plan over your kids. One day when Mary had taken the baby Jesus into the temple, she was approached by an old man named Simeon. 
who the Bible says was righteous and devout, and he was led by God's Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had said to him in his heart, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see my Messiah with your eyeball. You're going to see him before you die. So he said, okay, I received that word. He's getting older and older and older. He's wondering, when is this going to happen? It says one day he was moved by the Spirit. And the Spirit said, go into the temple. He went into the temple, the house of God. He went in there. And he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, the Bible says, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon saw him. And when Simeon saw him, the Spirit of God rose up in him and said, there's the Messiah. There he is. Simeon couldn't believe it with his own eyes. There's the baby Jesus in Mary's arms. She's just going in there by custom. And here comes this old man full of the Holy Spirit. He takes the baby Jesus into his arms and he says, he immediately begins to prophesy and he says, this child is destined, so are you, for something. So are you. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many are going to oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, that predicting that the ministry of Jesus Christ would expose the thoughts and motivations of people's hearts as being evil and needing forgiveness. Heavy stuff. Here, here she is, and, and now he's got the baby. Mary had already experienced this kind of prediction. Gabriel appeared to her and said, you're going to have the Christ child. This was heavy stuff, but the bottom line was this. Mary, this, this boy has, God has a plan. God has a plan. You are destined. God has a plan for you. And that plan is bigger, stronger, grander, and far more sweeping than you can imagine. And Mary couldn't wrap her mind around what she was hearing about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, God has a plan for your child. It may not look like it. It may not appear that he does. It may seem like nothing positive is taking place. But God has a plan. God has a plan or God's not God and God is God. So God has a plan. God has a plan. He's a, he's a strategist. He's a chess player. He's already won the game. Mary had to learn to trust God's hand and trust God's plan in the life of her son. And this is how she was able to let go. See, there's a lot of things I can let go of as long as I know that God has a plan for my life. And when I let go of it, he's in charge. You can let go of your fear. You can let go of the future. You can let go of people. You can let go of things. You can let go of jobs. You can let go of a lot of things when you know God has a plan. There comes a time when every mother and every dad is going to have to step back and say, God, I don't understand everything going on in the life of my child, but I trust you and I trust your plan. You know when this is really hard? When your child stumbles in a sin and rebellion. Oh, it's so hard to let go of them. But guess what? When they stumble into sin and rebellion, you've lost control. You might as well let go and give them to God. Boy, it's hard when they date somebody you don't approve of. They bring them home. They're at the door and you say, 
say what? And you look and you say, you found them where? Under what bridge? <laughs> All right, Lord, I let go and I trust you. You've got a plan. Or when they decide to pursue a career in something you just don't see for them. Or when they don't seem to be drawn to your faith or to your God. That's hard. And you've got to let go. This is when you've got to do what Mary said. What did Mary do? His mother stored all these things in her heart. Do you know that word stored out of the Greek, uh, Greek language means like to lock something in a safe? She locked something in a safe, the safe of her heart. What did she store in her heart? What did she lock in her heart? It was the promises of God. Do you know that there are over 8,000 promises of God in the Bible? 8,000 promises of God. And what is God waiting for? You, with your faith, to reach out and grab them. And when it comes to your child, you have to say, Lord, I look to the promises and I'm putting them in my heart. I am not going to be moved by what I see, but I am going to lock my faith with your word and I'm going to lock in the safe of my heart your promises where nothing breaks in and steals the promise away. And the devil will come wanting the, con- the, the uh, combination. How do I get into that safe in your heart? How do I undo the lock? What's the combination? And you just got to say, it's locked in. You will never know the combination. I alone know it, and I will never give it to you. You will never steal the promises of God out of my heart. They are locked in. Locked in. And so she trusted God's plan. The last thing I see about Mary is that she learned to not fear the future. This is so important. She learned to not fear the future. You know, there are people who wake up every single day terrified of the future. What does the future hold? I'll tell you what. I don't know how people who don't know God handle what you see on the news every day. But I happen to know that my God is the God of history. History is his story. And he's got everything under control, so I don't worry about the future. I'm grieved about some things I see going on, deeply grieved. But I don't ultimately give up and say, well, I don't know what to do and wring my hands and walk around in fear. I don't. I walk in faith. I'm going to take full advantage of whatever comes upon this country. I'm going to be preaching no matter what takes place. That's it. But Mary could have been afraid of the future because when the old man Simeon came up to her and took that baby in her hands, he said something that flitted around in the back of her head like a bug that wouldn't go away. I know because this is what he said. He looked at her and said, and a sword will pierce your own heart also. See, you can't love without hurting You can't love anything without experiencing some pain. You can't love a dog without eventually hurting because something's going to happen to that dog sooner or later. You can't love a person without experiencing pain. Pain is some of the cost of loving. And Simeon prophesied to Mary, yes, he is going to be a sign for Israel, but guess what, Mary? Because of the heaviness of the call on his life, and you being inextricably involved in his life, you're going to have a sword pierce your own heart also. The day's going to come. A sword of sorrow and a sword of heartbreak is going to pierce your soul, Mary. 
And you know what had happened? Just like she was told. John tells us in John's gospel, quote, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. See, he was prophesying of the day that Mother Mary would watch her son get nailed to a tree and dropped into that hole where the cross stood up between two thieves and would die an excruciating death in front of her very eyes. That's what he was talking about. A sword is going to pierce your own soul. You're, you're going to hurt someday. But you know what I love about the story? It happened. It happened. But Mary was there in the upper room with the 120 when the Holy Spirit fell. And don't you know when the Holy Spirit fell and touched her and she was filled with the power of the love of God, don't you know that all that pain was washed away by the glory of what the Lord did in her life? And that's the way it is. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But in the meantime, it says near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. And when Jesus saw his mother there, he's hanging on the cross, he's looking down, he sees his mother. After touching thousands and thousands of people, there's a handful at the cross. A few women, one man, John, standing afar off. And he looks at his mother. He cared enough about his mother to care for his mother, even while hanging on the cross. He says, dear woman, pointing to John, here's your son. And then he pointed to John and said, John, there's your adoptive mother. And the Bible says from that time on... his, this disciple, John, took her into his own home. Jesus cared for his mother. But there she was watching it. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote a poem. I want to read just a few lines from it. It's called Mary at the Cross. Listen to this. It's powerful. Oh, wondrous mother, since the dawn of time, was ever love, was ever grief like thine? Oh, highly favored in thy joys, deep flow. And favored even in this, thy bitterest woe. Now by that cross, thou takes thy final station. And shares the last dark trial of thy son. Not with weak tears or woman's lamentation. But with high, silent anguish like his own. He died. She was dying a thousand deaths. But you know what? She knew this was coming from the time he was little. But she did not let what she knew was going to be a very difficult hour stop her from enjoying life or make her fear the future. And so that's what I learned from Mary. You may know that you've got some hard times coming. I believe in this country we've got some hard times coming. You better learn to get with God to get into the Word, get into prayer, and don't be ashamed of Jesus or His gospel. Be ready to stand up for Him because this culture is going to force us to do it. And those of you that have been sitting on the bench or hiding in the closet, it's time to come out of the closet like everything else is coming out of the closet and be a Christian. And just come out and say it. I'm a child of God, not ashamed of it. He died for my sins and rose from the dead. I was so proud of Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham turned away from speaking at the Pentagon prayer uh, function. The son of an American icon, an American evangelical icon, told he could not preach, could not speak, could not pray at the Pentagon prayer function. 
persecution is moving across this country. And he was interviewed on secular cable. I saw it on a news show. And what do you think about this? Well, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead. I have no other message but that. Christ and him crucified and he took a stand for the Lord with smirks and sneers and mockery sitting there in the studio watching and listening to him. And I said, way to go, Franklin. May your tribe increase. May there be a million of you and a billion of you in this country that stand up. We can't be afraid of the future. And you know why we can't? Mary wasn't. Because we know who holds the future. And his name is Jesus. Can we stand together today? On this Mother's Day, I want to say, let's learn with Mary to let go as we should. To trust God's plan like she could. And to not fear what the future holds, because we know who holds the future. And I'm going to tell you who wins in the end. I know, because I read the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ will stand at the end of history, and he will rule this universe. Mark it down. And so today, I want to encourage you, parents, learn to let go wisely as you should when the time is right learn to let go don't cling trust god's plan and don't be afraid of the future father we just thank you right now for the blessing of god on every person in this place and we pray lord that you will help us as the church to stand up and speak up and be noticed and take a stand for you like mary did when she carried the child Jesus. Now, Lord, we thank you for the testimony of the Word of God, and we pray, Lord Jesus, grace us to learn what she learned. And we thank you for it in your mighty name. Now, if you need to let go of something, someone, would you take a moment as we just worship and just say, Lord, I let go. Give it to him right now. Just turn it over to him. Yesterday, I need you, Lord. More than words can say, I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I need you. Now, if you let go, can you lift your hand and just say, Lord, I do let go. I let go of that person or that place or that thing, that whatever it is that, Lord, I know I'm clinging to in fear. I just let go. I just let go. And I trust you to hold it in Jesus' name. Amen.